0: If you will, take your Bibles this morning and uh, just get them out. (laughs) I can't tell you exactly where we're going to start, but we will be in uh, several different uh, parts of the Bible, and so the verses will be on the screen if you have a hard time uh, keeping up in your phone or in your physical Bible that you have with you. Uh, Hopefully you got a copy of uh, the outline, and so... Typically, I try to put the verses on the outline, but due to limited space, I was unable to do that. So you might want to write those verses down that go with uh, those particular points or aspects of the uh, sermon. This morning, we're continuing our current sermon series, which is a little different for us in that we are normally preaching through a book of the Bible, Uh, we Uh, stopped in the book of Romans as we closed out chapter 13, and we'll come back to Romans in the fall, but uh, we're taking a a break from Romans to kind of do a reset, and that is uh, with everything that's happened over the last 15, 16 months, and uh, trying to get back to church as normal, and life slowly but surely, you know, returning to more and more each week to more of what we're used to, I thought it would be a good time for us to go back and to revisit who we are as a church and what it means to be a part of Eureka Baptist and really what motivates us and drives uh, everything that we do. And so overall, we we have a mission statement that we filter every decision through, and that is we exist to glorify God by making mature those who believe. And so that's pretty much been who we uh, have been for the last almost 13 years now. But over the last year or so, started back when COVID started, uh, I'd had some conversations with people uh, just concerning spiritual growth and, and how, do you, how do you measure spiritual growth or can you measure spiritual growth? And so my response to that has always been spiritual growth, the, the measurement for it is obedience, because ultimately that's what it means uh to be a Christian uh is to walk in obedience to the teachings uh of Christ. We don't become Christians by being obedient. We become obedient because we are Christians. Uh let's we don't want to put forth a works-based salvation. We believe that salvation is by grace through faith alone, not of any works. But we do believe that a uh, truth uh, that true faith is always uh always has works with it, okay? That's how we really know that we've moved from death unto life, is that we have a, a faith that uh, conforms to the teachings of Scripture. And so in doing so, um, these core values uh, are something that's uh, not original to me. Um, they're, they've been around for a long time. Uh, In other churches, so this is not something um, that I came up with. But these five core values most definitely, to me, give us a working uh, uh, picture of what it looks like to grow in our faith. And so last week we introduced core value number one, and that is found people, find people, Um, which is basically just a fancy way of saying that people that have been saved are people who go out. And take Jesus to other people. Because God is seeking those uh, whom He may save. But He does that through His people. Because Romans 10 reminds us, how can people be saved if there's no preacher? And that doesn't mean preacher like me. That means preacher like all of us who claim the name of Christ. Herald. Someone who who speaks forth uh, the claims of Christ. And in that passage of Romans 10 it says how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good news and so every Christian uh, follows in the footsteps of Jesus when Jesus said in Luke chapter uh, 15 verse 10 he says that I came to seek and to save those who are lost and all of us came to Christ through somebody else who came to faith in Christ Now I don't you know you can uh, maybe spin that ever how you want, but all, none of us came to faith in Christ on our own. The Lord used somebody or a group of people or a church or some friends or someone uh, that brought the gospel to us. And that's how people continue to be saved, is that we take the gospel to them. And so if you're growing in your faith, if, if you really are a disciple of Jesus, then you are taking your faith to others. It's not. You remember what I said last week in closing? It's not about how many people you bring to Jesus. It's how many people you bring Jesus to. People don't come looking for Jesus. Especially in our day. But there are people who need Jesus. And if they're going to discover what they need, then it's going to be through you and I walking across the street or um, walking across the lunchroom at school or uh, going to the cubicle next to us at work or maybe getting on a plane and going to a foreign country or maybe going to you know a different city or just whatever it might be. We will have to go. We will have to go. But I can tell you this in going. The, Jesus said the harvest is right, the problem ours the laborers are far too few. The laborers are too few. So this morning we come to core value number two. I thought I'd save this for the final week, but I thought I'd just rip the band-aid off and get it out of the way today. Because it is the one subject that you're told not to talk about or preach about in churches, and that is the subject of money. So core value number two is simply this. You can't, out give God. And, and some people may say, well, that could be also your, your time, or that could be your talents. Uh, when we were working on the tiny house several weeks ago, and by the way, I got some new pictures. I'm not, I, I, I meant to have them to show you today, but I didn't get that together yet, but I'll put them up on Facebook uh, this upcoming week. The, the tiny house is just coming along in incredible ways. And the financial resources that continue to come in have been uh incredible, and so um, hopefully maybe in about another two weeks, the tiny house will be totally completed, and Steve will uh be moving uh back into his new permanent residence and so uh, we'll keep you keep you updated on that but um there was a guy that said, you know, I can't, I can't give any money, but I can come up here and volunteer my time. And I get that. I mean, when the Bible talks about uh, stewardship, it, it does talk about stewardship of time. It does talk about stewardship of our talents. But I think sometimes we bring that up to be dismissive of the mandate that the Bible has on our stewardship of our money. And I'm just going to be honest with you, when the Bible talks about stewardship or generosity or giving, it very rarely mentions time, and it very rarely mentions your talents. It predominantly, and about 99% of the time, it refers to your money. And so, whether you're a teenager who doesn't have a job, uh, or... um, you are retired, or living on a fixed income. It doesn't matter where you are this morning in life. Um, all of us have a responsibility when it comes to the financial resources that God has given us. And if you're going to measure spiritual growth, this is one of the key factors. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll just go ahead and throw this out to you. The Bible teaches us that... Um, Clear indication in various passages of Scripture that a failure to be generous is an absolute disclosure that you're not a Christian. Now, you can get mad with that all you want. I got plenty of verses of Jesus clearly teaching on that um, that substantiates that claim. Remember what the Bible says about Jesus. For your sakes, he became poor. And Jesus didn't live, contrary to the prosperity gospel teachers, Jesus did not grow up in a wealthy family. He grew up in a poor city. He grew up in a poor family. And if you see that the offering that his parents took uh, to the temple, you can see that they took the, uh, the offering of the poor uh, because they were poor. And Jesus never owned a house. He had a rock for a pillow. He lived his life in total dependence on on God's provision, on the Father's provision for him. Jesus is the primo example of what it means to give. And he gave everything. He sacrificed everything for us. And Jesus said if the teacher does that, then the students should not think that any less would be expected of them. Let's look at what the Bible says this morning about giving. I'm going to ask you a question. What's the biggest mis- misconception Christians have about giving? What's our biggest misconception? This is key to understanding biblical giving. Because what we have to do before we can become people that... Uh, become generous, we have to to dig down deep into our heart and find out why am I not generous. Because for all of us, some of us might be more generous than others, but I dare say any of us are really knocking it out of the park when it comes to generosity. What's the biggest misconceptions Christians have about giving? That when we give our money away to a church or a ministry or to help the needy, we just simply believe it's gone. We believe it's a one sided benefit. Well, the church can give the preacher some more, you know, a raise, or they can buy this, or they can buy that, or, uh, you know, or the, the homeless guy that I gave the money to can go buy a meal or get a place to stay for the night, or whatever it might be. We really believe once it leaves our hands, it has no connection or any future implications relevant to our lives. Scripture calls you not to view giving as a divestment of your money, but to see it as an investment in heaven. Not a divestment of your money, but an investment in heaven. Giving is our opportunity to do what Jim Elliott tried to encourage college students back in the 1950s to do. And that is, to give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot earn. To give up what you cannot keep to gain what you can never lose. When we, when we give, especially of our money, it's gain, it's not loss. Not, not when it comes to the teaching of the Bible, the teaching of the Bible says, the more we give away, the more we gain. But if you try to keep what is not yours to begin with, you will lose it. You will lose it. Because anything that's not invested in heaven will not last. Only what's done for Christ will last. Everything else is going to be burned up. Everything else is not going to stand. It's not going to matter. It's not going to account for anything. (laughs) Jesus wants us to invest His money into His kingdom. Did you notice how I phrased that? Not your money. You don't have any money. If you're a Christian this morning, go ahead and whisper to yourself, I have no money. Because you don't matter of fact you don't own anything, you don't even own your own life Paul says we've been bought with a price, we glorify God in our bodies, right we, we no longer have ownership of anything we we are under the stu- we, we, we are now stewards of all of the gr- of the gifts of God, and so look at what Jesus says in matthew ten forty two and whoever gives One of these little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. It's a good word for those of us who say, I don't have a lot to give. Jesus counts cups of cold water. Nothing is insignificant. 20,000 people showed up and Andrew found some fish and bread. Actually, they were sardines. Y'all know how big sardines are? They're not very big. And a few pieces of bread. And somehow Jesus took a little and fed 20,000 people till they were full, and then 12 baskets left over for the disciples to take with them. Jesus is into small things. He's into small giving. Mark 9.41 says this, For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Now, Mark is recounting Jesus saying this, but... This time it's not children involved he said just give a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will not lose their reward Jesus in Acts 20:35 says look at the very end of the verse it is more blessed to give than it is to receive why is giving better than receiving It sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? But when you give, you plug into God's law of rewards. You experience dramatic and lasting returns for the investments you made. When you give, you receive far more than when you keep. Anybody know that to be a fact? Hmm? If you can't say amen, you know, anybody can nod their head. And I know some of y'all are nodding because you're fighting sleep right now, and that's okay. Just go on to sleep. Maybe through osmosis you'll pick up on something this morning. It happens. When you give, you receive far more than when you keep. When you give, it brings glory to God, and it brings good to others, and to ourselves. Now, now, don't, don't think, well, Brother Jason, I, I've always been taught that, that giving has nothing to do with me. I'm just supposed to give expecting nothing in return. Oh, yeah, you're supposed to give and expect nothing in return from the person you're giving it to, but the Bible does not teach give and not expect God to give in return. Now, let's preface that by don't think, well, if I, if I give somebody my old beater, God's going to give me a new car. Or if I give a certain amount of money, God's going to give me ten times back. I'm going to tell you this. Go ahead and burst your bubble. God does often reward our obedience in this life. But I'm going to tell you, the majority of the time, the reward that we will receive for obedience is being laid and stored and kept in heaven. Because there's not thieves in heaven, and there's not to steal, or moss to eat away, or rust to destroy our reward. It is kept in heaven. And the great thing about it being kept in heaven is that it will last forever. What you buy today is only a product for a future yard sale. It doesn't last. It doesn't last. In my dealings with those who are givers, there are a handful of words that describe their experience of giving joy, it's fun exciting wonderful look at what the bible says i mean this is totally in keeping with what scripture teaches second corinthians chapter 9 verse 6 through 7 actually chapter 8 and 9 are probably the most extensive two passages in all the bible on giving says paul says the point is this whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Watch. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So let me slide something in. We don't teach tithing as a standard. Don't really believe that that's what the New Testament teaches. Don't really believe that's what the Bible teaches. Because if we really dug down into giving and tithing... From start to finish, the Old Testament saints were given 23 and one-third percent of their income, not 10. They had two 10% tithes and then, then a third 10% tithe that was given one-third uh, for three years. So 23 and a third percent. But let me, let me just say this to you. Paul says each one must give as he's decided in his heart. If you're looking at a starting place, 10%, if it's anything, it's the floor, not the ceiling. It's ground zero. It's the place you start. But you should pray and seek the Lord as to what you should give. But here's, this is what I love about it. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. You'll never hear me browbeat, beat you down about giving, twist your arm about giving, manipulate you into giving. If you don't give, you're the one missing out. Because, look, God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful is where we get our word hilarious. I still, I, I'm praying for the day that when we take an offering, and by the way, you know, we used to, we don't pass the offering plate here. And pre COVID, we used to have our box, it's at the back, but hey, it's coming back front next Sunday. The offering will be back in the middle of the service during one of the songs where you'll have an opportunity to come and bring your gift and drop it in the box. Um, But I just long for the day when somebody gives their gift and they're just laughing out loud while they give. Just laughing, saying, I just can't believe the Lord lets me in on this. This is crazy. This is the best investment program ever created. It's foolproof, it's not a gamble, it's not a risk. Some Christians are determined to do their part, but they do it with a lot of reluctance. They give strictly out of duty or obligation. Better to give out of duty than not to give at all though. (laughs) <laughs> if you're not fired up about giving, but you're, but you're dutiful in your giving, keep doing that and pray that God will fire your heart up about giving. He'll give you joy about it. Joy comes when you understand God's law of rewards. So what's the difference between a reluctant and a joyful giver? What's the difference this morning? Well, reluctant givers give as if they were spending and getting nothing in return and joyful givers give as if they were investing, anticipating a great deal in return. You, you know what? Cheerful givers, joyful givers, you know what they're, you know what they're always thinking about? One day I'm going to be amazed when I get to heaven at how God used The money that I gave. I just can't wait to get to heaven. To find out all the ways that God used what I gave to bring glory to His name and people into His kingdom. Now reluctant givers, they give and they're like, they better spend my money right. They better not waste it. They better account for every penny of it. And look, look, financial integrity is important. But the point again is, joyful givers aren't really concerned about what's happening with the, with the how, where the money's going. Why? Because they trust that those people will stand before God and give an account for what they did with that money. But you've got to stand and give an account to God of what you did with the money he gave you. So why not, instead of trying to, you know, take the joy out of giving by figuring out whether they're really doing right by the money or not, why don't you just sit around and dream about all the things God could be doing with it and then say, Lord, do it and do more. Maybe on Sunday morning when you come and give your money or you give it online or ever how you give it, you say, Lord, here's my, here's my fish and chips. You can take this little bit and do a lot with it. And I'm just going to trust that you're going to do a lot with it. And those who get that understand the law of rewards and they give with incredible purpose. And when you're giving with purpose, you don't mind giving. Why did so many people give to our little tiny house project? I to have to speed up here. I knew this was going to happen to me. Why did so many people? I mean, just like, just crazy how people have given. We're, we're over 80, I think we're over 80 unique donors to our little tiny house project. And as far as I know, probably, I'm going to say 80 to 90% of these people don't even know the guy who the house is being built for. I had a classmate of mine this week said, Hey, I saw the tiny house project. He said, What do you need? I said, What can you give? What do you need? I said, What can you give? What do you need? I said, well, how much was you planning on giving? He he gave me a number. I said, we'll take it. We'll take it. Send it on, brother. Why? Because when people attach a purpose to something, they get excited about giving. Listen, when you give, and especially when you give to your church here, Know this, every dollar is attached to a purpose. Every dollar is being invested into the kingdom of God. Yeah, it's paying power bills, but guess what's happening right now? We're running the power in the air, and what are we doing? We're making disciples. We're sharing the gospel. Yeah, it went to buy cameras and computers and internet service. Why? So that we can put our our services online so that people can watch. And it's been incredible to watch during COVID all the different places that people were watching. People overseas, people in different states. Emails that, uh, that I received from people. It's, it's unbelievable. But every dollar that you give is attached to a purpose. And that purpose is the kingdom of God. And as long as I'm here, I can promise you that everything that you give is going to further God's kingdom. It has a purpose. But we must make the reward connection. If our hearts are really going to be joyful in giving, we've got to make the reward connection. And listen, eternal rewards, they're factual, they're not figurative. I'm not talking about something that may or may not happen. I'm talking literally about something that one day is going to happen. The Bible tells us 25 times in the New Testament about rewards. And one of the most uh, tangible rewards that the Bible talks about is crowns. Now, crowns don't really fire us up, right? Some of y'all live on the river, and a new boat would fire you up if that was the reward. Lord give me a boat and I'd be fired up about giving. But a crown? Some of you love the mountains. How about a mountain chalet? You're not a mountain person, you're more of the beach. You like to bring the sand into your house. How about a beach house? Who wants to sacrifice for something that doesn't really sound so great, a crown? And that's our problem, we forget that earth is not our home. And so we waste our lives pouring ourselves out and our money and our money into what will go up into smoke. Meanwhile, God offers us the opportunity to experience a down payment on joy. The delight that comes today in doing what you know God wants and the, anticipa- and the anticipation, anticipation of hearing these words. What does Jesus say at the end? Or what does he say at the beginning, I should say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over how much? Over a little. Now I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." I've said this so many times in 13 years. I say it one more time. There is a direct correlation between your experience in heaven and what you do for the Lord on earth. You don't get into heaven based on what you do here on, the earth, on earth, but your experience or your status in heaven is, is affected by what you do here on this earth. Are you faithful in what God's given you? Jesus tells two stories that I think I'm going to have to just kind of blow through real quick here. Okay, so I'm going to go fast, listen fast, give me about 10-15 minutes here, and we'll be done. He tells two stories about money. He he tells a lot more. Do you know that Jesus talks more about money than he does heaven and hell combined? So two stories in the Bible about money. Are you ready? Let's let's read this first one. Mark chapter 12. And he sat down opposite the treasury. This is Jesus. I love this fact. I imagine now that... um, When you go to give, always remember this, Jesus is watching. He's always watching the treasury. And he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a... How much? I bet you she wasn't on any committees at church. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly... I say to you, this poor widow has put more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Whoa. A penny. Outdid Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and all those other cats. Because that's who those other people were. Y'all didn't know that. That's who they really are. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. But she out of her, po- out of her poverty has put in everything she had. And all she had to live on. And he called his disciples to him and said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. It's not about how much you give. It's about what you give. Boy, could you imagine the conversation that somebody might have had with that woman? Don't give it all. The Lord wants you to be smart with your money. He, he doesn't want everything that you have. He understands it that you only have a penny left and, and the Lord wouldn't take your penny. He'd want you to keep that penny and maybe you could do something with that penny to, to get some bread or some food or to help yourself out. Maybe that penny could be the start of, uh, 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 of something that'll help you to make more money. Right? Save it. Don't, don't, don't give it all away. This little lady reminds us that when you give everything to God, you lose nothing. This is a demonstration of true faith. This is somebody who says, God, if you don't, it won't. This is a woman who's truly living by, Lord, I trust you to provide daily bread. I trust you to meet my needs. And I trust you so much that I'm going all in on who you are. I'm going all in on who you are. This woman is not being unwise, she is being wise. And you would be wise too to push all of your chips in on Jesus. But then there's another guy. And he's found in Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Ooh, That's not the one I want to read. Yeah, Yeah, it is. I'm sorry. Let me go just a little further. Jesus told a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I will store all of my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, So you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? sounds like God's financial advice is a whole lot different than the financial advice we tend to give don't get me wrong God's not against savings account God the Lord is not against preparing for rainy days we have plenty of script verses in the Bible talking about the ant pay attention to the ant how they store but again Jesus is diving down to the heart of the matter Jesus is saying I didn't increase your standard of living To increase your standard of living, I increased your standard of living to increase your standard of giving. I didn't give you more to tear down the barns you have to store it all away. You've got plenty in the barns that you have. I gave you more so that you can give it away. If Christ is not Lord over our money and possessions, then He's just not Lord of all. The principle is timeless. There's a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions concerning money and possessions. The early church shows us this, and these are going to be some of the last verses we look at this morning. Acts 2, and 45, this is right after the initial gospel presentation and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. I want you to see how these 3,000 people immediately responded in, in, in their lifestyle. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What about chapter 4, verse 32 through 35, in case you think that that was an an anomaly? Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. It was no more natural for these Christians to cheerfully liquidate and disperse assets they had spent their lives accumulating than it would be for us. And that's the whole point. The whole point is that everything that I have is God's. And if, and if at any time he, he demands the liquidation of what I have to give away to those that are in need he has every right to call me on that conversion and the conversion and the filling of the holy spirit or supernatural experiences that produce supernatural responses whether you're in the first century or the 21st century Living for Jesus will make you do some crazy stuff. Any, any, anybody know that to be a fact? Like, Jesus ever asked you to do some crazy stuff? You ever done some stuff for Jesus while you're doing anything? Lord, what? <laughs> really? Our stewardship of our money and possessions becomes the story of our lives. Hmm. What's your story? Do you have a story? Do you have any stories to tell? We got kids and teenagers sitting in this room. they got any given stories that they know about you mom and dad do they Your, your kids have any idea what it means to give and how God has provided and taken care of your family in so many different ways over the years as you have been generous or are we leaving a testimony of our kids of greed of holding on to our money, of, of excessiveness in our lives. One of the greatest things, uh, one, one of the greatest, I guess, gifts that I was ever given as a kid was the stories of God's faithfulness to provide when we are faithful to give. I shared with somebody Wednesday night on, uh, that I something that I'll never... Well, there's a lot about this I'll never forget, but um, one night my dad was sitting at the table. I was about 13 years old, and he was, had his checkbook out, and I was eating a bowl of cereal, and I said, Dad, what, what you doing? He said, well, I'm paying bills, and, uh, and he stopped, and he said, son, he said, I want you to know something. He said, there's a lot of bills here that need to be paid. But he said, I want you to know something. He said, the first check I write every month is this check. And he showed me the check. And it was made out to Grace Baptist Church. And he said, we always give God our best. He said, we don't wait to the end and see how much is left in the checking account. We give God our best. why because it's his and we trust him with the rest you see my dad was giving me a story his life was telling a story that night what what story is your life telling I can tell you one thing. When we get to heaven, we'll get to read it. We'll get to to hear it. Because you won't tell it, but the Lord Jesus will tell it. Oh, he will. He's going to tell your story. How much material have you sent up for him to write about? Here's a couple of questions I asked myself this this very week. One day, everyone must answer these questions. Skip these verses. Where did it all go? What did I spend it on? What, what, if anything, did I support with it? And what has been accomplished for eternity through my use of, of all this wealth? You see, you may not think you've got much. But do you know that if you went to work at 25 and you worked till 65, pretty much the average length of our work life, 25 to 65. And you made just $25,000 a year. That's not a lot of money, right? Made $25,000 a year. You know you'd be a millionaire? Do you know 25,000 times 40 is a million bucks? Ooh. I'm looking at a lot of millionaires. And if you make $100,000 a year, you only got to work 10 years to be a millionaire. And I did some research years ago and found out that within the average median income within five miles of this church is about $38,000 a year. Take you about 27 years to get there to a million bucks. We've been given a lot. God has been incredibly gracious to us all. And now the Bible calls us as people who have experienced the grace of God is to be people of grace Especially in the area of our finances. Money will not solve the world's problems. That's not what I'm saying. It doesn't. Money's never solved any problems. But what money does do is that it enables us to grow spiritually spiritually Because we move from trusting in something that will not last to trusting in someone that will last. We shift our dependence from money to the Lord. We leverage the resources that God has given us for eternal joy in heaven. And we're also leveraging the resources that God has given us so that other people might experience eternal joy in heaven. Y'all met two young missionary couples last week. That are going into two countries that are going to be as hostile to Christianity as any two countries on this planet. One country in particular, that if they are found out, they're either going to be thrown out of the country or they're going to be thrown in prison. The other, go into a country that is populated with a Muslim population that is hostile towards Christians. And not only are they young, but they have young kids. And they need support. And here we are back here in the good old United States. And some of us are thinking, praise God, he didn't call me to those countries. Right? But listen, he didn't call you to that country. But he called you to support those that he has called. He's called you to leverage everything that you have for the sake of the gospel. Now this morning, listen, I'm not telling you that the Lord... I'm not up here saying, well, we all just need to give up everything and just, you know, sell it all and we'll give up. No, I'm, listen, that's not it. Here's what I am saying. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying take everything that you've got. I don't know... Can you see in the bottom left-hand corner of this screen, you see those four arrows? Maybe, maybe not. If you can't, if you're, bl- if you're <laughs> blind like me, getting blind, there's four arrows pointing to the center. That's, that, this is You're going to see more and more of this. It's going to be our new logo for the church. And if you can make that out, does anybody notice what those four arrows end up making in the middle? You young people, can y'all figure that out for us? Thank y'all. and y'all are so smart. We got the smartest kids. I mean, really do. There are some geniuses over there. It's a cross. Those four arrows pointing to the center make a cross. Let me tell you what that represents. Take everything you have, push it to the middle, and say, Lord, it's all yours. Always has been. Hadn't necessarily lived like it. It's all yours. Do with it what you want. Ask of me what you will. And because of what you did on the cross, there's no way I can say no to anything that you ask of me. Because if you will die for my sin... You will not ask of anything of me that is not for my good. That's what it's all about. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive him. Now I do want to. I never do this, but I gotta show you a video. Because I think this little video, it's from a movie called The Three Amigos. It's an old movie. Maybe some younger kids maybe have never seen it. I don't usually show movies and sermons. But when I thought about this, I thought about this. I mean, I need to leave you with something today in your mind that you can walk out of that you won't soon forget. Now, what you're about to see is uh, three guys, three comedians, who are in the middle of a desert. And you're going to see three different little vignettes of each one of them. And what I want you to see, and I, the one I, what I want you to most identify with, when you and I fail to, to, when we fail to be obedient to what the Lord has called us to do, we are the third character in this movie. Let's see if I can get it pulled up. Here it goes. When we refuse to follow Christ into generosity, we're saying to the majority of the people around us, I don't care. I don't care what you got, what you don't have. So this is it. Are you a rich fool disguised as a disciple? You believe in God? But you don't believe God. If that's you, you need to repent and trust Christ as Savior. True disciples, pray for a heart like that of the poor widow, one that lives out the truth that you can't outgive God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, It may be a comedy of a movie, but I don't know if I've seen of a, a more accurate depiction of what happens when people of grace forget that they are people of grace. You have filled our cantina up to the brim. You have blessed us beyond anything that we deserve. And yet, with a world around us in need of the gospel, missionaries in need of support, people in our community in need with so many needs. Let us not be the character who simply holds on to everything for ourselves and even waste what we have been given. Open our eyes afresh to what you have done for us and why you have done it for us. We are blessed to be a blessing. And in order for us to, to go and to do what you are calling us to do, finances will be a part of it. We, we can't escape that. But through our giving, we will find great spiritual growth. Through our giving, we will find great spiritual growth joy and most of all in our obedience to your teaching we will lay up for ourselves in heaven a joy in a life that'll be beyond anything that we could ever imagine or think and you command us to do this you say lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven This is how you're honored. This is how you're glorified. This is your desire for our lives. is to glorify you in giving, to seek the welfare of others, so that in the end, there will be a story told in heaven, not to our glory, but a story told in heaven of your grace and how it played out in our lives and the effect that it had on the world in which we lived and in the days in which we lived. Move us as only you can this morning, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Will you stand? Will you sing one more song with us this morning?